Welcome to the SDA Housing Podcast, brought to you by NDIS Property Australia. Before starting this episode, we need to provide a general disclaimer. Information contained in this podcast is general in nature only. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. You need to consider your financial situation and needs before making any decisions based on the information in this podcast. And you should consider seeking independent and professional advice for your personal circumstances. All right, let's begin. Hello, everybody. My name is Min, and I'm your co-host today with Matthew from the office at NDS Property Australia. And you're listening to the SDA Housing Podcast, a show that explains, highlights, guides, and brings awareness about all things SDA in this ever-changing NDIS world. Matthew, how are you? Very good, very good. What's today's topic about, Matt? So today is just... We're just talking about a few or five, to be precise, myths uh, that come up frequently when people talk about NDIS properties. Or S- SDA, sorry. Or S- SDAs. Or just general perceptions that are out there that um, we just kind of wanted to touch on and discuss more in depth. Mm. So shout out to Housing Hub. They are the ones who issued this uh, this SDA, five SDA myths that we sort of qu- we are quoting and reading through and covering. So. Uh, this information is from the Housing Hub website, uh, and when we saw it a few weeks, about two weeks ago, we thought this would be, be a great topic to cover in the podcast. So uh, we are definitely referencing and quoting the information from the Housing Hub website. So Matthew, what is can, do you want to you want to read what myth one is, and I'll I'll go through that, and we'll, we'll jump sure. vice versa. Um, yeah. So the first myth is specialist disability accommodation is only for people with a physical disability, and the fact and the fact is that. Eligibility for SDA is not only about physical disabilities. SDA eligibility is about the support you need for everyday tasks and the type of home you need to facilitate that. Okay. So let's explore this fact. There is legislation that the NDIA must use to determine who is eligible for SDA funding. The legislation uses words like extreme functional impairment and very high support needs in relation to eligibility. Extreme functional impairment is where a person requires a high amount of support from another person to undertake day-to-day tasks, even if they have already have equipment or technology. Having very high support needs might mean you need support often throughout the day. This could be, su- this could be support with remembering what needs to be done, support with day-to-day tasks, or it might, might mean support to keep you or others safe. The legislation also talks about other things what type of home a person might need and what type of specific things in the home will provide the best support for the persons living there. Now that's me quoting word for word verbatim from the uh, myth one of the Housing Hub website. Now myth two, let me let me cover this and then Matthew can explain it all. Myth two, uh, a person eligible for SDA cannot live with family or a partner who does not have SDA funding. That's incorrect. The fact is, who you choose to live with is your choice. As long as there is no risk to your health or safety, anyone you share your SDA home with will have to pay rent to the SDA provider unless you are your own SDA provider. Yeah, so um, if you currently live in SDA housing and want to, a family member to live with you, uh, you need to tell your SDA provider who you want to live with unless you own your own SDA. Um, so this is on the Housing Hub website that, 
if you have an SDA provider, uh, they will advise on the rental income, um, which may be similar to the re- re- regular rental costs in the suburb or area. Uh, and if you are SDA eligible and you don't intend on owning your own SDA, you will need to apply or approach the SDA housing provider about your intended living arrangements. Not not uh, too dissimilar than just, I suppose, moving someone in on under, you know, on the lease, that sort of thing, or the process you take for that. Cool. So in summary, um, if you live in an SDA housing and you want your family to live with you, you got to tell your SDA provider. If you are eligible, you need to approach the SDA housing provider about your intended living arrangements. And uh, the NDIS will confirm who you've chosen to live with to check you aren't being asked to share if you don't want to. And they're the basic um, three points I, I, I'm pulling out of the, uh, the diagrams on the website here. So, Matt. Yes, right. Um, so you must have a supported independent living, still funding to live in SDA. And the actual fact is that SDA funding is separate from the funding you receive to support. Okay, so man, I might um, I might use the uh, the diagram summaries because they seem to be much more simpler to read and, and cover. So, with regard to this funding that a participant receives for supports, might be called SIL, ILO, or simply core funding. Okay, so we've spoken a few things a few times about the core funding in the past. And if you are eligible for SDA funding, you will also need support funding to live in your home. And the third point is, eligibility for SDA is determined by using the SDA rules, which is part of the legislation. So they're the three um, points I have to cover this this myth here regarding the um, civil supports and SDA. Myth four, Matt, um, it's, it's about, uh, let me read this, being approved for specialist disability accommodation funding will include assistive technology. The fact is, SDA funding is separate from the funding you receive for AT, assistive technology. SDA homes are not built with AT, already included. If you're thinking of having AT in your SDA home, uh, your SDA home will assist you to do things you normally can't do because of your disability, then you will need to apply for AT funding separately from SDA. Matt? Yeah, so uh, SDA is a type of housing for participants to be in what support, and which we've touched on what. While the AT or assistive technology is equipment, technology, or devices that help you do things more safely and easily, you normally can't do because of your disability. So, AT could include small things such as um, non slip mats, powered adjustable beds, or technology to help you communicate and risk. Uh, so, some key points to be aware of um, would be that you need to show the NDIS evidence of how AT. Your SDA house will help you do things you normally can't do because of your disabilities, or it will be you will need to prove that it will help you do things more easily and safely, or it will help you help to assist you in pursuing your goals. The NDIS have certain criteria that you need to meet in order to get AT or assisted technology in your plan. If you already have a plan, you might need to be able to use your existing funding in your current plan, or you can ask for your plan to be adjusted based on your needs. So the NUIS may ask you to get a AT assessment, uh, which can be done by professionals, such as an allied health practitioner or public or practitioner. Um, so the NDIA may ask for different types of information depending on the cost of the AT item. So if it's a, if it's low cost, mid cost, or high cost, essentially. 
and they will quote from there, essentially. Yeah, so in summary, the NDIs have certain criteria that they'll need to meet to get AT in your plan, and they may ask for an AT assessment uh, through a qualified health practitioner. Myth five. Matt, do you want to cover the initial points and I'll explain that after you cover so Myth five, you cannot be funded for SDA if you already live in a home that you own. The fact is, if the home you live in prevents you from participating in household activities, puts you at risk, or you cannot access the level of support you require within that home, you could be eligible to SDA funded, even if it is your own home. We must obviously meet the eligibility requirements for SDA. Okay. So let's explore these facts again. Just um, eligibility of SDA is determined by using the SDA rules. Okay, we know that. Before the NDIA considers where you live currently, and how that relates to your eligibility, you must meet other eligibility requirements. These are specific to the level of support that you need, and you can find out more about that here, um, referring to the, the link in the article. Now, if you, are, if you live in a home of your own, the NDA will consider the SDA for you if you're living in the SDA will mean you can do more things for yourself. The features of the SDA, like ceiling hoists and whatnot, means you have the support you need, the SDA will help you achieve your goals and your current home puts you at risk. So you really need to explore the options you have, your housing options you have there. If you own your own home, it can be modified to meet your needs, but it's unlikely that you will be funded for SDA. So that's pretty clear there. So in summary, I guess, living in SDA will mean that you can do more things for yourself and you can help you achieve their goals. So that's what it comes down to, really. I mean, which makes sense, I guess. So. Yeah, any final comments? Ultimately, um, whether your SDA can uh, give you a better, uh, better lifestyle or if it can assist you in achieving your goals um, at the end of the day. And if you can kind of work towards um, if, if your, your SDA or going back to myth four and your AT can assist in that process and it can prove it, that's the case, then you will likely be able to re- receive one of those two things. Mm, awesome. So thank you. Shout out to Housing Hub for issuing this this uh, article on SDA housing myths. This will definitely give our listeners a bit of more of an understanding as to what is not accurate and is false, and to keep on you know learning more about the SDA uh, sector itself by reading information being released by the Housing Hub or Salem Foundation, and also also our um, our topics covered on this podcast. Matt, any um, any final words before we hang up? No, um, but. I enjoyed doing this. I think we might have to do another in this episode at some point as we kind of um, receive more things that we hear regularly, which are not the case anymore. Yeah. I think I think you should give some thought to it and talk to Erin, our podcast manager. These are just five myths. There are plenty more myths that we can also cover in the future. So let's, let's cover that next time, maybe in a few weeks' time, Matt. Cool. Thank you so much, Matt. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you are subscribed and following us so you can keep in the loop with all of our upcoming episodes. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star rating, a written review, and to share this podcast with those that could benefit. Until next time, catch you on the next episode.